My name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. And I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, and artists, and lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. Now, as season two continues, I am stoked to have John Spong on the show today. He was nominated for a National Magazine Award in in 2009, and he's twice won the Texas Institute of Letters O. Henry Award for magazine journalism. He is the author of a book called A Book on the Making of Lonesome Dove, and his stories have been collected in Best Food Writing and Best American Sports Writing. He's got two boys. Go figure that one of them is named Willie, Willie Moe, and the other is Leon. I wonder who Leon might be. Uh, Spong is a native Austinite and, in my opinion, a walking Willie Nelson encyclopedia. I say this not only because he pretty much invented the Texas Monthly issue on Willie, but also I've listened to every episode of his podcast called One by Willie, where he has notable Willie fans talk about their favorite Willie song. Check it out. It's Willie Cool. My favorite episode is Season 2's podcast with Don Was. Don is another one of my heroes. Because he knows so much about Willie, today's podcast is a little bit different. We each picked our favorite three Willie records and discussed them. We had one in common. Um, late in season one, I implemented quizzes into the podcast mix, and this will continue on future podcasts uh, for the foreseeable future. It don't matter what I'm going to ask. It's all about fun and smiles, and Spong did pretty good. And if you're digging on what we're laying down here, please, please give us a review on iTunes, the Apple iTunes uh, platform. You can find my top five records pretty much anywhere. But if you listen to podcasts and if you were to give a star for each one of your top five records on the Apple iTunes platform, that, that's five stars. Uh, it'd be super appreciated. Now let's get to the conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're on that desert island again. What five records do you have? Yes. Today, I am super excited for the My Top 5 Records podcast. I have John Spong with me. What's up, John? Hard to say. Just excited to be here. Yes. John is the man, and he knows a ton about Willie. So today's episode is going to be fun because we've each picked three Willie albums that are our favorites. And let's get into it. So, John, you picked uh, Yesterday's Wine. You picked Stardust and Phases and Stages. So we both picked Phases and Stages, so excited to talk about that one. I also picked the other um, Willie concept album, which is fa- uh, Redhead Stranger, and then Shotgun Willie is in my top five, so it kind of has to go in there. I, re- I remember it on my jukebox, Shotgun Willie dancing around as a kid, so it's there. But Yesterday's Wine, let's tar- start off talking about that. That is, could be considered the first concept album. Of Willie's? Yeah. Yeah, there was there was one prior to that in 68, I think, called, uh, was it Texas in My Soul? But it's it, it was billed as a concept album, but it's not. It's just a bunch of songs about Texas. I don't think he wrote but a few of them. It's great. Uh, but Yesterday's Wine was the first one that was like a fully formed story, beginning, middle, and end. Um and since concept albums are kind of a thing now, that itself doesn't seem like such a great accomplishment in retrospect. Um, it was a unique at the time because it hadn't happened in country music that way. But even more to the point, it is a weird, weird <laughs> album. And the idea that Willie put that album out in 71 or I think 71, it is bizarre 
if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. I mean, it was his 13th studio album. Yeah. Uh, he had been reading the Bible and the Prophet, and I read that he wrote nine songs in two days. That's the word. Yeah. He was just divorced. He had lost a ton of money uh, by financing unsuccessful concert tours, and his Tennessee ranch burned to the ground. And with that, when the ranch burned down, he moves to the hill country for a year. I think his ranch burned down, his farm burned down around Christmas. It was a pig farm. Right. Yeah, a little less romantic than a ranch. <laughs> and it burns down. And so he comes to Texas and he's out at the Hidden Valley Ranch and Golf Course. It's a dude ranch out yeah. around Bandera. And the way Ray Benson put it to me once, Willie started, I mean, he moved back because his, his career had kind of failed. Yeah. You know, uh, Nashville, people always like to say that they didn't let Willie do what he wanted to do. That wasn't really the problem. The problem was he tried everything he could to be a star and none of it worked. And then his house burns down, and then he comes back here, and he feels, I think, from what people said, a little bit like a failure. And people were saying he was going to retire, um, and he started taking mushrooms, eating mushrooms, yep, <laughs> and and reading the Bible and the prophet. And suddenly he had this whole other take on what life was supposed to be about. And then comes yesterday's wine. Yeah, you know, it's talking to the the concept album portion of this, you know, he says. And I'm going to quote this. I looked up and simply began asking questions. Rather than keep those questions to myself, I put them into songs. The songs became my own particular prayers, my own personal reflections. I strung those prayers and reflections together in a loose-fitting suite of songs. Music critics were throwing around the term concept album. I guess you could say this new notion of mine came together as a concept album. I'd rather uh, try to write a bunch of hit singles. Uh, I simply followed the natural path taken in my mind. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it, um, it's just it's it's so so spot on, you know. Okay, so I, as I mentioned before we started this, you know, there's, there's going to be quiz questions here, and I've okay. got the first one coming at you right now. You ready yeah. for this? Okay, which of the next the, the of the three artists that I'm about to mention scored a number one hit as a duet with the song "Yesterday's Wine"? So you have to pick two of these guys, or you can just pick the one that is not. Or do you want me just to tell you? You can tell me. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> Merle Haggard and George Jones? Yes, yes, you you got it. That's right. Congratulations, Mr. Spong. There's no expert nothing. That <laughs> well, was, you know, that's that, that would stump a lot of people. Hey, when I was in high, I think I was in the 10th grade when that song was on the radio, and it was about drinking, and so we all loved it. I didn't even know it was a Willie song when I fell in love with that because I just loved Haggard and Jones's version of it. Haggard and Jones. Uh, I love Jamie Johnson, too. Uh, so yeah, in 2015, I love this, uh, recalled one RCA record executive telling him it's your fucking worst album to date. <laughs> Nelson also quoted somebody at RCA op opinioning, uh, this is some far out shit that maybe the hippies high on dope can understand, but the average music lover is going to think you've lost your cotton pick in mind. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and, do you play clips from the records? Cause I mean, that's the thing. This album opens with Willie's band acting talking playing the roles of god and the archangels yeah you do know why you're here don't you and then willie says yes you know perfect man yeah, has been sent or do you if you've got that written down don't let me yeah, misquote I don't. it I, I do not perfect man has been sent to earth before 
It is time for imperfect man to be born again and walk the earth. And I have been chosen. And somebody else says, yes, you, a Capricorn. is a perfect, or something like that. It's like, where is this going? This is so weird. And that's how it opens. That's how it opens. And the voice of God is Willie's drummer, Paul English, who is no angel, man. No, he is not. He's bad news. He he is bad news, but his best friend. And, And my favorite song on the album, your favorite song Willie ever did. Yeah, my favorite song ever is, is Me and Paul. Yeah, with good reason. New York Times said described yesterday's wine as the last and best of Nelson's Nashville album, saying it was organized in the manner of an epic poem, each cut a metaphor in the journey through life. It was Nashville's first fully conceived concept album, and nobody knew what to make of it. And soon it disappeared quietly and utterly. And then the Rolling Stone... Uh, said that yesterday's wine is the first of his bold conceptual departures from country country's hits plus filler room. Rather than uh, tack rock guitar riffs on modern honky-tonk sagas, Nelson absorbed the innovations of Bob Dylan and the singer-songwriters into his own distinct style. Even, uh, even if the narrative concepts don't always hold together, Willie hangs most of his ambitious albums on some of his catchiest tunes. And the cool thing about that, with all the, you know, because the, the podcast I do, we're, usually we're talking to songwriters about a Willie song and mm-hmm. getting into the weeds and the nuts and the bolts and however further you would want to mix that metaphor. Um, to look at Willie's early songs when he got to Nashville and before he got to Nashville, they're more interesting and more clever than what Nashville was doing at the time, but they're very much in that vein. It's a lot of wordplay, mm-hmm. um, and they're real simple. Me and Paul... You can tell that this is post Dylan, yeah. Po- post Christopherson, post Mickey Newberry. It is uh, weird details taken from real life that are telling a completely different kind of story than this kind of generalized ten thousand foot view. I'm crazy for crying and crazy for trying and crazy yeah. for loving you. It is, you know, uh, on a package show in Buffalo with. Us and, and Kitty Wells, Wells and, and Charlie Pride. Pride. You know, it's, came a long way, not just for the ride. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very different kind of country song. Buffalo ain't geared for me and Paul. Which is I, the greatest <laughs> line. Ain't geared for me, me and, and Paul. Paul. Oh, Bus, damn, almost sorry. busted in Laredo for reasons I'd rather not disclose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's don't leave nothing in your clothes. It's it yeah, it um that was that was not I, I get that, chills. Yeah, I uh, it's gross, but so did I. Um, but yeah, no, that Nashville songs didn't sound like that before Christopherson got there, mm-hmm. before Mickey Newberry got there. Okay, I like that. I love. I, I, this is great. Okay, so, <laughs> we're together. Yeah, uh, and this is the last quote that I that I wrote down from from this album. A listener's guide to country music said, "Few of the songs on yesterday's wine are well known Nelson compositions, but all are minor masterpieces." Yeah. Yeah, Didn't I, I mean, I have to write these quotes down when I when, I, when yeah. I see them. You know, the the song on there that's actually one of my favorite of his is "December Day." Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful and quiet and and just wonderful. Yeah, I I just love the whole walk from life to death, and you know, going home is about him, like looking at his funeral. Yeah, straight out of Tom Sawyer. Right. I mean, it's 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 this wonderful. That is that. There's more depth to that than country music had known. Yeah. Previously. So good, and just the cover, you know. Love yeah. the cover. What else? So, it, it, tell me, why is this in your top three? All the stuff we're talking about, um, 
to be honest, one of the reasons is because it just it's such a pretty sounding record. You know, people, your mood is your mood, and sometimes you want the loud driving outlaw stuff. And sometimes you want the jazzier Django inspired stuff. And sometimes you want this, which has got mandolins and, and, and fiddles. And it's kind of a quiet record by and large. But really, all the stuff we're talking about that still strikes a listener now is weird. The first time you hear it, yep. 40 years later, to, to think of how weird that must have been in 1972 71 the yeah. nerve that it took to create this and that's either absolute desperation because it hadn't worked out screw it i'm just gonna do yeah. it or it's absolute resolve and knowing what's inside you is going to carry the day and i bet you it's like one foot in both of those camps there was well, no reason I'm to go expect ahead this to work and describe this as rock and roll okay because i believe that rock and roll is not a style of music I believe that it is an attitude and a determination that you say, fuck you, I'm doing this. Hell yeah. When, when we talked to Alejandro Escovedo on our podcast, it, you know, it's great because Alejandro is probably the only, almost certainly, the only person in the world who opened for both the Sex Pistols and for Willie Nelson. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, is Willie a punk rocker? Yeah, he's the original punk yeah. rocker because he's the one that was like, he said a big part of it is kicking against the system, you know, and, and nobody was more successful at that than Willie. Yeah, no doubt. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. I got, I got that idea, that kind of, that, that um, concept from Lester Bangs reading his one of, his, his, one of the books about him. But, uh, okay, I want to talk about one of my albums. Hit it. All right, Shotgun Willie. Yes. Okay, I remember... Dancing around the 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 den with the, the my to my Wurlitzer jukebox and I had Shotgun Willie and I loved it because I was really young and uh, it says uh, sits around in his underwear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, it's a goofy point to make, but um, one of the reasons country music resonates resonates so strongly with the fans is because it's songs about their lives, and so yeah, you're five. 10, maybe even in college, yeah. you know, sitting around in your underwear is what you're doing. That's a song about your life. And so you've got an automatic connection to it before you even get into the tune. Yeah. Well, it was a 16th studio album uh, released in 1973. And it this is, in my opinion, kind of where Willie changed, you know. And, you know, he started doing the concept album. I mean, the like the, the next two albums were totally concept albums. Um but he had refused to sign the early extension of RCA contract. He was frustrated he couldn't have his own band. And then he got out of that contract. He moved to Austin, uh, got into the whole Armadillo World headquarters uh, scene. And uh, he said about moving to Austin, I liked this new world. It fit me like a T. I never did like putting on stage costumes, never did like trim haircuts, never did like worrying about whether I was satisfying the requirements of a showman. Uh, it felt good to let my hair grow. It felt good to get on stage in the same jeans I've been wearing all damn day. <laughs> so good. So, you know, and then during the recording, you know, he was, he was, he didn't really, he wasn't really inspired after a session. And so he went back to his, his hotel room and wrote Shotgun Willie on the empty packaging of a sanitary napkin in the bathroom of his hotel. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's one thought that the real deal was that there was some writer's block going on, and you got a deadline, you got a you got a studio time in the morning, Mister Man. Yeah. <laughs> what you gonna yeah. do? And so, yeah, on a toilet, 
sanitary napkin box. Got an idea. Got an idea. Here I am yeah. sitting around in my underwear. <laughs> no, seriously. Hey, what what do you think about uh, John T. Flores was working for the Ku Klux Klan, six foot five, hell of a man, uh, made a lot of money selling sheets on the family plan. I've heard a couple of thoughts on that stories behind it um have you been to floors yeah down in lotus yeah it's it's this great it's old epic i love texas dance hall um and john t floor owned it forever i did a short thing about him a few years ago for texas monthly and and my favorite tidbit that i got from reporting is i tried to give a history of floors was that john t you know he lived there he slept in the office um and supposedly he always was out front during the day wearing boxers Held up by suspenders, followed by his basset hounds watering the plants out front. And, 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 and remembering that he's six foot five, there's something about that that really kind of drove me nuts. Um, Willie's old bass player, B. Spears, grew up in Holotus. And B said that, yeah, John T had been in the Klan in East Texas as a young business person because back in the 30s or 40s or whenever that was, you had to be in the clan in order to make it in business. Um, and that, okay. you know, when he left East Texas, he got out of the clan. Um, I st- don't know that that, that doesn't excuse it anyhow, but I also don't know that that's the case. Um, Cause I actually, I talked to Steve Earl about it and Steve Earl grew up best friends with mm-hmm. B Spears actually. Yeah. Um, and what Steve said was, no, he wasn't in the clan at all, but his, place there had been a furniture store at one point and when you were a furniture store you did sell sheets because the other part of the other thing was that there was a clan rally through Holotus at some point in the 50s I think and supposedly to be funny uh John T had been out front with a like instead of a lemonade stand it was a sheet stand that he was selling because he thought that was cute (laughs) and so that was the way I first heard it that's the way B told it and that's kind of the way it is in the song right but what uh Steve said was now, uh, that had been a furniture store, and once upon a time, if you were a furniture store, just like once upon a time, a furniture store sold record players, and that's how records started getting sold, because they were sold out of furniture stores in the start of the 20th century also. Um, Steve said, no, if you sold furniture, you sold beds, and that meant you sold sheets. And so he had sold sheets, and so Willie just put that in there to be funny, making fun of him. He said, I don't know if John T. thought it was funny or not. Right. And But the deal is... That's 1972, and these are people that grew up out in the country, and you can make blasé passing references to the Klan like it's no thing then, if you're them. But actually, to hear that line now, to be honest, it makes me a little uneasy, and it makes a lot of folks uneasy. Yeah. It's kind of... I had one of my friends tell me that it was about selling acid. Oh, I'd never heard that, but I like that one too. <laughs> I, th- I think I like that one better. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Although then he didn't. Then he really doesn't need to get that clan reference in there. Yeah. But the the thing is, though, it was written fifty years ago. Not that that excuses it. That's not why I bring that up. But fifty years ago, and in the fifty years since, there are not uh, these other stray examples that have come up of Willie maybe being a clan sympathizer or actually even unsympathetic to you know, civil rights needs and injustices and stuff like that. He, he plays those benefits. And so if there was a bunch of other stuff that made it look like Willie was a dick, um, <laughs> that line would give me more trouble also. I have a hypothesis. 
Hit me. And I'm calling it the Willie rule. <laughs> okay. And I think it's Willie really awesome. Um, when an artist develops a new genre of music that combats the standard quo, regardless of the sales or popularity of the first record, this person will ultimately become famous and achieve a number one record and be the subject of future artistic works. I buy that. I buy that. Although I would say they got to continue to stick to their guns. Yeah. If they do that first uh, thesis statement that kind of sends the world in a different direction. And a lot of people won't understand it at first. Right. You know, what? that's why I'm saying it's not, it's not going to be popular. I, th yeah. I think uh, it doesn't really, I mean, Kurt Cobain is another example of, yeah. you know, pioneer of, of grunge music. Yeah. Um, Bob Wills. I'm just trying to think of other people that, you know, have really changed the face of what they're doing. 100%. I just mean that if they do that and make that great statement and then if by chance they then become disappointed that it didn't work out and then they sell out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I can't actually think of the examples of that. Right. So. Well, and those so, aren't the people we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I love how Chris Christopherson told Willie that Shotgun Willie, the song, was <laughs> mind farts. <laughs> and Willie said, maybe so, but I thought of it more as clearing my throat. <laughs> so good. All right, quiz question number two for you, Senor Spong. This is going to be probably easy for you as well. Which of the following musicians did not play or sing on the album uh, Shotgun Willie? Uh, was it Doug Psalm, Waylon Jennings, or Leon Russell? Oh, which didn't sing on it? Play or sing. Play or sing. Oh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to go Waylon. No, actually, Waylon played and sang on it. Oh, hell. With uh, Je with Jesse Coulter. It was Leon Russell. Leon, Leon Russell, didn't show up? Well, he wasn't He wasn't on the album. He, Dang. He, he wrote a song, but... Yeah, of course. Well, And actually, what song did he write? Because that's one of the great... He wrote two. Uh, did he? Yeah, he did... Um, it's not Devil in a Sleeping Bag. That's Willie. He did... Uh, you Look Like the Devil. In the Morning, yeah. that And a song for you. And a song for you, which is... Just such so a great song, and the idea that Willie did the definitive version of that when so many other people have done it is kind of stunning. Which was the one that um, that Steve Earl want lo loved so much? Local Memory. Yes, that's the one. Isn't that a great song? It is so good. Um, you failed to punish me with a sound effect when I got the, the answer wrong. Oh, sorry. Here, Hit let me. me do it. I think it's... <laughs> wrong. Damn. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I love that. Uh, you know, um, Willie asked uh, Jerry Wexler, you know, if he was worried about the music not being commercial, and Wexler replied, "Do you know this quote?" I don't think so. Fuck commerce. You're going for art. You're going for truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "That's when I knew he was my man." Yeah. Oh man, yeah. You know. Uh, so I, I love also how Willie said about Wexler is that Wexler's attitude really pumped me up. I cranked out songs one after the other. The atmosphere was right, whereas Nashville has always been uptight about musicians smoking dope in the studio. Atlantic didn't give a shit. Uh, Wexler got high with us. Wexler never bugged me about putting on sweeteners to stim stimulate sales. I felt free to tap into my imagination, no holds barred. And I felt uh, free to go against the grain on tunes like sad songs and waltzes, you know. So, yeah. But he kind of had his back, you know. And oh, here, here's a Texas Monthly quote. You ready for this? Um, they've switched his arrangements from Ray Price and Ray Charles. The result, a revitalized music. He's the same old Willie, but a veteran producer. 
uh, Jerry Wexler finally captured on wax the energy of Nelson's project in person. That's awesome. To whoever wrote that at Texas Monthly. Um, the, the thing, and you touched on it earlier, it's his own band in the studio. You yeah. know, and, and, and actually one of the things that's particularly weird about that album, uh, that's the second thing he did for Atlantic, but it was the first released. And that's because the first thing he did, as I understand it, when he got to New York to record was a gospel album that ended up being entitled The Troublemaker. Mm-hmm. And then it was released maybe five years later on Columbia because I think that Atlantic's thought was, yeah, the first thing can't be a gospel album. Now, the big hit that came off of it was Uncloudy Day, and that was such a great song for Willie that I think a lot of people even forget it was an old gospel tune. Um, but he did that, yeah. That's Sister Bobby. Yeah, I think it's the first time they record together. You know, Is that the first for time? A major, for a major label, yeah. Awesome. You know, and so that, and so find the troublemaker too. It's of a piece with uh, Shotgun Willie, it, but it's more traditional songs, so it doesn't, the, the songs aren't as complicated and as cool is Willie's own writing on Shotgun Willie. Yeah, I'm going to I'm I'm still trying to hammer down a date. I think it's going to happen next week to uh do the podcast with Paula Nelson. Oh yeah. And she keeps on saying, "Well, I can't that do it that day because I got to go see my aunt Bobby." And I'm always like, uh, I, do can not I get go? in the way of that." Can I go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next record that we both picked was Phases and Stages. Now this this quite possibly might be the coolest and best concept album I've ever listened to. Yeah, um, it's it's stunning. It's stunning. I mean, and it, it peaked at number 34 <laughs> in well, 1972. I was thinking about this, talking to somebody about the other day. One thing there is that when Willie goes to Atlantic, they've just opened up a... Country music division. A country yeah. music division in Nashville. And so I don't know who they hired, but... And I'm sure they hired people away from the big labels, but it wasn't like uh, RCA uh, or one of those labels that had been there forever that had this huge team working right. radio and marketing the thing and, and getting everything together. And so I did wonder if part of the reason those records, because they just are so much better than everything else happening yeah. at the time, if one of the reasons they didn't get quite the success they should have, that they merited, was because there wasn't the team that knew how to market them, yeah. working them, which is unfortunately just the way that business works, especially the country music business. Yeah. Um, well, at this point, he was he was given free creative control, right? Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I mean, the hit off of that, to, if you can call it that, is Bloody Mary Morning. I don't think that went any higher than number seventeen. Yeah, and something like that. Bloody Mary Morning <laughs> should so, give it higher than seventeen. It is, it, it, I love. I just. That's such a killer song, you know. Oh, it's stunning. Flying in from finding Houston. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Forget With forgetting her, the nature, nature of, of my, my flight. flight. Oh man. <laughs> Smogging down to start off the day. Um, so, apparently, Willie met Wexler at a party at Harlan Howard's house. Um, I guess this was in Nashville, and uh, Howard remembered that. And I quote, he got on a, on a bar stool late at night when the party had thinned out and he sang like a total album with a gut string and a stool. He just <laughs> went from one song to the other and then Jerry Wexler from New York flipped out. And Jerry Wexler was the guy who started that, mm-hmm. that, that, um, that, po- that portion of, of, um, of the new record label. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I I believe that you know I think that the the outlaw country music really kind of started with Shotgun Willie, but mm-hmm. I think this hammered it in. Yeah, without doubt. And and, and and like one thing I'll add to something you said a second ago too. I've always thought that the cool thing about yesterday's wine. Do you remember when we were kids and there was that Disney movie, Nature's Half Acre? Did you ever see that? I maybe just a bunch of wildlife footage. And one of the things that they showed over and over was this time lapse photography of flowers opening. And uh, it would be cool. You just see a bud, and over the course of ten seconds, it seems like slow motion, but it's actually probably days or something. And a flower right. opens. That's yesterday's wine for me. Prior to that, huh. he's a Nashville cat, um, and so on that record, you hear him get weird, you hear him get deep, um, and then the record disappears. Shotgun Willie is when he gets to take his own. He's like the guy that just made that record. That's the record where he becomes Willie. Shotgun Willie is the first record that he makes. Winnie's Willie, yeah, you know, and that's the birth of whatever outlaw actually is. That's the birth. Hard. Um, Rock and, and roll. somewhere in there, Waylon puts out Honky Tonk Heroes, mm-hmm. the album of all Shaver songs. Yeah, Billy. And then Phases and Stages, which is like the first masterpiece of that. That's when you realize what you were saying a second ago. If somebody does something like Shotgun Willie and sticks to their guns, they will be remembered forever. They might not if the next work is a piece of shit or if the next work is selling out but if the next work is phases and stages and yeah. it's a stone cold masterpiece it's th- here we are uh, yeah i mean that's the willy rule right yeah 100 percent. there's a i was listening to a podcast um i forget what the podcast is called but um he did the acdc rule and it's, oh yeah it, that's a uh, hit parade hit parade yeah, yeah. slate yeah uh, and I love that. Oh, but tell everybody what the ACDC rule is. The ACDC rule is if you have an album that is ultimately legendary and the next album shoots to the top of the charts super quick and then falls, it's not, but even though, the, or whatever it is, but it's just basically it shoots to the top even though the first album that preceded it, it was way better and has all the classic songs. So that's kind of like Back in Black, which is a different, uh, the changing singers. And so it's kind of like, Van Halen, yeah, Dave or or Sammy. Wasn't that it? AC Back in Black is like the absolute great album, but it didn't go to number one. But the next one did, and I think that's for those about to rock, which has the one song on it for those about to rock. And I don't know, you would you would have to be a pretty heavy duty ACDC fan to know the rest of that record because I don't know. I don't know it. Shit, no, no, I haven't had anybody pick an ACDC record. Actually, uh, Mitch Ballard picked uh, Back in Black, and so I told him about the ACDC rule. And I said, okay, uh, which singer do you like best? And he was like, uh, he likes the he likes the latter. Oh no! Yeah, I know, I, uh, yeah, Bon Scott, Hell man, no, come man. on, Bon Scott's the greatest singer in rock ah, and roll history. Fuck yeah, I agree, dude. He is like awesome. And you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a David Lee Roth fan. But, oh, I'm a huge but David Sammy, Lee Roth fan. But Sammy was, I mean, they they got all their hits there. That's when they had their first number one album and everything. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Sammy Hagar married a girl I went to high school with, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But but I'm a, but I've been to see more David Lee Roth shows than I have <laughs> Sammy Hagar shows. I'll be straight about I that. I do love Three Lockbox though. <laughs> All right, so now since let's get back to to Willie. Um, yeah. Quiz questions. He is using his own band now, his own touring band in the studio. Who of the next five people were not on this album? Was it A. Paul English, B. B. Spears, C. Chris Etheridge, B. Bobby Nelson, or E. Mickey Raphael? On phases and stages? Yes. I might. We might have to 
do our research together. Um, Mickey's not in the band yet, so that might be the answer you're looking for. But I don't think any of them. He didn't. He didn't do phases and stages with his band. Yeah, he did. I think he did. Uh-uh. Well, then let's just go ahead and knock this quiz question out. It was supposed to be. I was trying to trick you because Chris Etheridge was another bassist, but B Spears right. was the one that was in the, on this one. Um, f- maybe find where you found that. I don't want to act like I think I know everything because well, I don't. But no, it was Muscle Shoals guys that were um, added in were a bunch of A-teamers from Nashville that were brought in. But it wasn't, weirdly, that was not. Okay. Well, well I, did, I didn't read that, but it was also, I guess the first session is when they did it with the real band in Nashville. Then they went down to Muscle Shoals. That could be. Okay. Anyway, all right. So that's sorry a, about that's, that. That's no, 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 no worries. <laughs> all right, here's another one. You ready for this? Yeah. Which of Willie's daughters was the song "It's Not Supposed to Be That Way" about? Was it A. Susie, B. Paula, or C. Amy? Oh, um, yeah, I'll guess Susie. I don't think Amy was born yet, and Paula seems young for that. There you go. You got it. Nice. You like like my Jeopardy sound effect? Uh, So the Rolling Stone wrote about this album, uh, seems to understand an an unloved woman better than any dozen articles from Mrs. Magazine. (laughs) The fact that Nelson uh, Nelson can fashion a believable scenario with such sparseness is a tribute to his ability to turn experience into good music. Phases and stages is his best work to date, now seems to call out for the filmmaker who can turn good music into good cinema. All music said, the, the deceptively relaxed arrangements, including the occasional strings, not only highlight Nelson's clever eclecticism, but also heighten the emotional impact of the album as a result. This is not just one of Willie Nelson's best records, but the greatest concept album overall. Well, and chills, just got chills again. A hundred percent. And the and the deal is that, you know, for the three people out there who don't know what the story is on phases and stages, it's a divorce record. But side A is from the point of view of the woman, and side B is from the point of view of the man. And I I didn't know that. I first heard, I don't remember which song it was. It's on side A. Um, but I first heard it, in the not knowing the album faces and stages, in the early 90s when the IRS tapes came out, which was the record Willie did years later, which was just solo acoustic versions of a bunch of lesser known songs of his. And I remember hearing it and thinking, wow, that sounds more like the point of view of a woman when a relationship ends. I don't know why I thought I was, um, you know, smart enough to make that assessment when I was 24 or whatever I was. <laughs> but, but, but then I found out, no, that's because it's on side one yeah. of phases and stages. Pretend that never happened. That might be it. Or sister's coming home. It's not sister's coming home. That, um, I'm that falling would, in love again. I think it's I'm falling in love again. Okay. And, 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 and that's the thing. So the record you know, for a concept album to tell an interesting story is important and for it to tell it well is important and for it to be consistent throughout and tell the same story without departures throughout, that's an achievement. Phases and Stages does all that, but then on top of it, it's just got this novel storytelling device where it's two different points of view. That's some sophisticated bullshit, man. I I, I hear you. My yeah. new record is called Honky Rock. Uh-huh. And first side's going to be all honky-tonk. You flip it over on vinyl. Next side's rock and roll. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, that's a concept. It's not it, it's not like this. It, it, it right. is, it's, it's like this in the sense that it's two different prerogatives. Yeah. Right? But when you... It's competing ideas. All right. And 
as I say this, we're going to roll into the next record here, Redheaded Stranger. <laughs> it's not like, because I believe the Redheaded Stranger, yes, it's a concept, but I believe it's a story. Yeah. It's more of a story than, it's more like Yesterday's Wine than it is, um, you know, just a concept album. Yeah. Right? And so that's, that, that was my role into Redheaded Stranger, his 18th studio album in 1975. It was ranked 183 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. That's a typo. They meant to put it higher. <laughs> Sorry. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, number one on CMT's uh, 40 greatest albums in country music. Uh, in 2010, it was inducted into the National Red Recording Registry. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So it's uh, the concept itself is about a fugitive who's on the run for, uh, from the law after killing his wife. Yeah. And her lover. Yeah. So um, I know that the uh, concept was inspired by Tale of the Redheaded Stranger, uh, a song that Houston used to play. I mean, Nelson used to play on as a disc jockey. Yeah. Because he was a disc jockey for a long part of his life, you know, when he was in Fort Worth. And apparently he wrote all of the songs on a road trip back to Austin from Colorado where he and Connie uh, were driving back from. And he did it all in like some cheap ass tape recorder. So, uh, what do you think about Redhead Stranger? I love it. It, of course, I love it. Um, and I have to be careful. Not that anybody cares what I think, but like if I, oh yeah, we do. Come on, shit. But like, I mean, I like these other records better. So if I explain why I like some of the other records better, that's not the same as poo pooing Redheaded Stranger. No, it's one of the greatest albums that ever that exists. Right? There's there's no other album <clears throat> in the history of the world that you can tell me another one that tells a story like that. Right. Well, so so personally, when I first got Redheaded Stranger, I always knew Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, which the first thing you have to say about Redheaded Stranger is Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain was a national phenomenon as a song. And so at that point, Willie goes from this guy who some people like in Austin and who musicians in Nashville respect and really wish had done better than he had ever done. You know, he's he's this great guy. Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain becomes a pop hit. You know, it it carried over because it's just the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. Okay, I'm going to guess you're going to nail this next quiz question. Okay. You ready for this? What song off this record became Willie's first number one hit? Yeah, yeah. I'll just go ahead and give you applause. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he'd never gotten close. He had never <laughs> sniffed at number one before, you know? But so, but so the thing is, so like... Um, so I knew it and I knew of it and I knew I was supposed to love it. And when I finally bought it, probably right out of college in the mid eighties, I got it, you know, like you, I went and got it on vinyl at the Goodwill or some shit. Yeah. Um, and when I put it on, one of the things that was always really kind of striking to me, it, 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 it registered in me the same way pet sounds did when I first okay. heard it. Cause I played it and I didn't get it. The first time I listened to it, it was over my head. Yeah. Just like Pet Sounds was. And Pet Sounds is one of my favorite things ever. And, and similarly, um, God Only Knows is the prettiest thing I've ever heard. That was my way into Pet Sounds. I listened to it over and over, and then everything around it, suddenly I love that record. Same with Blue Eyes, Crying in the Rain. And the same with the one of the last songs on side two of Redheaded Stranger, which is Hands on the Wheel. Because, uh -huh. man, I love that song. Yes. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So one of the things that, like, 
Willie really he had the vision for this, right? And so, yeah. Like he had told the engineer to he, he was like, hey, you know, don't equalize everything so much because that was the way they did it in Nashville, right? And when he finally got his finished record and he gave it to Columbia, the executives were like, ah, uh, this is kind of more like a demo, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, Willie asked him, well, what, what does it need to sound like? And they said, anything but this. <laughs> I've heard. The song feels disconnected. The songs feel disconnected. The mood is too down and the sound is too far flat. You need to go back and polish it. Yeah. There, I've heard the, it sounds like a demo attributed to maybe four different record executives, yeah. <laughs> including Billy Sherrill. And I don't think any of those stories are wrong. I think every one of them said. Billy Sherrill said, did he make this in his living room? It's a piece <laughs> of shit. It sounds like he did this for about two bucks. It's not produced. Yeah. And so what did Willie do? He had creative control. No more production added. It's time to release it, man. Yeah, do it. You know what? And I think it's something like they budgeted $350,000 for it, and he recorded it for like fifteen <laughs> and pocketed the rest <laughs> of the money. We need the, the, the buses need new tires. That's right. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I think about the story, you know, I always think about it. I love the word Sancho. You know what that means? It's the, it's the Mexican the guy. The dude that shows up at your house to, after you go to work to get with your wife? Yeah. 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 And then he, you know, kills another woman. Can't hang a man for killing a woman who's trying to steal your horse. Right. It's just, it's, it's, he meets a, falls in love. Um, I love Willie's insight. He says, you know, I, I took my time all the while staying focused on the preacher's feelings. Hank Cochran's Can I Sleep in Your Arms was kind of a tune the preacher would sing or would use to sing himself to sleep. I could also hear the preacher doing beautiful old ballad by Fred Rose, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. Uh, that had been sung by everyone from Hank Williams to Gene Autry to Conway Twitty. It was another song about love, uh, lost love, whose mantra, love is like a dying ember, and only the memories remain. Expressed overall theme, tied loose ends together. Qu chills again. Well, so that that's a thing with it, and maybe this is time for us to have a rock fight, and here's why I like phases and stages more. To an extent, Redheaded Stranger is a covers album. He only wrote like two or three songs on the record. But Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, like you just said, is Fred Rose. And uh -huh. Can I Sleep in Your Arms Tonight is Hank Cochran, who's Willie's old buddy who helped him when he first got to Nashville. Yep. Hands on the Wheel is some little-known Austin songwriter, David shit something, um, who was in Austin at the time. Uh, there's old uh, traditional songs that he rearranged, but the, they're old songs. And yeah. so he wrote... In Redhead Stranger, of course, is a cover, like you said just now. The fact that phases and stages are all Willie compositions, and that's the songwriter telling the story in his own words. For me, since all we're doing is splitting hairs here, because these are all great albums that everybody better have, um, that's that's where I split that hair, and that's why I go with phases and stages. Fair enough. That's I, I hear you. I'm a songwriter. I, I really appreciate people that, that, that write their own songs. Um, but still, it is a classic. Oh, without question, it, it, it's a it's a classic, and I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, both of the concepts are just stellar. I mean, you can I mean, who who comes up with that shit? Yeah, well, and that but, idea. And the other thing, to your point, um, phases and stages is not trigger is not necessarily a big co-star of phases and stages. It is not a big mm -hmm. focus on trigger in that. Um, and Mickey, um, and we were going back and forth earlier on who I was all playing on. Mickey's not in the band yet for Phases and Stages, but Redheaded Stranger is a trigger album. 
Yes, it's a it really is. guitar playing album, and it's a Mickey Raphael album, and that really. I've had buddies argue Redhead Stranger really is the birth of Willie because that is the birth of the family band as it came to be known. Love it. That is a great quote. I, I freaking love that. Texas Monthly, another quote you read for this? <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, John works for Texas Monthly, and he has his own podcast, One by Willie. You want to talk about it real quick? Oh, sure. It's um, it's the easiest thing to describe. It's a weekly podcast called One by Willie, and each week one notable Willie fan talks about one Willie song that they really love. And then we just go down the kind of rabbit holes that open up when the topic is Willie Nelson. And it's it's a lot of fun. It is huge. I, my favorite episode is Don Was. I laughed so many times. <laughs> Don Was can tell a story, right? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And, and That's that, so and good. The, the thing with he's him, my, one of my heroes. Yeah, Don Was produced Love Shack. Don was is the guy behind Love Shack, but he says that the best thing he ever produced was the no song way. "Across the Borderline" for yeah. Willie, and and God damn, I did. I want to. I want to play music with him. Yeah. Uh, Texas Monthly said uh, a piece that was titled "Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Willie." Yeah. Willie Nelson's uh, latest album is more than good country music. It's almost gospel. The difference between Nelson's Redheaded Stranger and any current country and Western album, and especially what passes for a soundtrack in Nashville, is astounding. What Nelson has done is simply unclassifiable. It is the only record I've heard that strikes me uh, as otherworldly. Redheaded Stranger conjures up such strange emotion, m- emotions and works on so many levels that listening to it becomes totally obsessing. That story was written by Chet Flippo, who was the <laughs> original stringer in Austin. Maybe he was the second one. I think he was the first stringer in Austin for Rolling Stone. When Rolling Stone realized in 1971 or 72, oh, there's something happening in Austin. We better have somebody yeah. on the ground. That's Chet Flippo. And he went on to be like the Lester Bangs of okay. country music writers, journalists, critics. Um, and But he wrote for Texas Monthly for a while. And, and I am not trying to get in good stead at work. One of the reasons I'm so proud (laughs) to get to be in that place is because we had Chet Flippo and because Chet Flippo did not write that about how great that record was. He did not compare redheaded stranger to a book of the gospels, right? You know, 10 years later or 20 years later, that was his review of that album. The week it was released, he heard that and said, you know what? This album is going to revolutionize music. Yeah. Um, and he wrote that piece about it. And I actually had a huge pissing match at work when we were putting together. You and I talked before this started about the Willie special issue that the magazine did last year. And I wanted to run a number of old stories we had done about Willie yeah. in their entirety. And they said, well, let's just get two paragraphs out of the Chet Flippo review. And I was like, excuse me? We're running the whole thing. We have to run... I mean, it's so nice to see like a music critic that goes out on a limb, gives their opinion about something, and it doesn't even really shoot up charts or do, or do anything, you know. And it, but you have so many critics, like, well, I mean, Willie has them for yesterday's wine that hated yesterday's wine, and then all of a sudden, twenty years, oh, that's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. After yeah. after everybody's accepted, oh, and this is an amazing album. Yeah. Um. Uh, CMJ uh, New Music Monthly said his redheaded stranger was the Sgt. Peppers of country music the first record to follow a coherent theme instead of merely compiling radio singles it does indicate uh, 
how little attention they had been paying to Willie before. Because yes, as we just said, there were two or three completely concise, you know, consistent concept yeah, albums before. I mean, but, but I'm glad they heard this one. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know when they wrote that. But uh, So let, let's let, let's spin off of this. Let, let's go list the talk about the album that I've been listening to pretty much nonstop since you picked it. It's just Stardust. I mean, talk to me. Other than the fact that it's his... 22nd studio album released in 1978 um booker t jones producer apparently a booker t was uh like next door to him in in hawaii or something i think it was in malibu like he had the condo upstairs and if i understand the story right willie this is great willie was taking the trash out and booker (laughs) t was coming in from taking the trash out he's like aren't you Aren't you? And he's like, Love yeah. It. Why don't you come up tomorrow and bring your guitar? I got a piano. Let's hang out. Yeah, I read that too. Uh, it peaked at number one, and uh, it was certified platinum in '78. Um, so let's quiz time. You ready for this? Yeah. Uh, which Willie uh, in 1970? Willie won a Grammy for best male uh, vocal performance for which song? Wait, in 1978? 79. Oh, 79? Was it A, George On My Mind, B, Blue Skies, or C, All of Me? Oh, you know, I have no idea. I'm going with Blue Skies. Sorry. It was George On My Mind. Okay. But, I mean, when I listen to that album, I I listened to it twice today. It's so good. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's almost mood music for me. Yeah. You know, and then I walk out the door to go walk inside, to go grab some. All of me, won't you take? You know, yeah. blue skies. And I, I believe that, that. Here's another little question. Like I do this top five records podcast. I always say top three vocal or top three guitar licks. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you hear one guitar lick or you hear one vocal, and you know who it is. Yeah. And Willie does both of those. Uh, without question, it's stunning. It's like I mean, there. I don't think there's anybody else that can do that. Now, and actually, with it, if you were to add a third, which is like you know, if somebody presented you with a twist of phrase, a twist of words, a turn of phrase, you would actually say, "Oh, that's Willie," or "That's not Willie." So the fact that a guitar lick or a vocal—I never even thought about that. That's or a great the words, way to look at it. Um, that's that. There, there is not a fourth category, even. You know. Yeah, that's. That. What would that be? Karate kicks on stage. You know, David Lee Roth or Elvis. Yeah, and actually, to get not to get too weird, Willie's got a black belt. Never mind. Yeah, I, I know that too. Uh, some reviews of this album, the Orange Coast said about Willie Nelson's performance on this uh, this of the all these standards. This, this record was basically a bunch of standards. Yeah, you know, you know, that's all it was. Yeah, and and so Willie Nelson is perhaps the finest male singer in country music. His phrasing and sense of and sense of understanding drama have caused him to be compared with the best jazz singers, which I agree with. Now he's released an album of old pop standards. Stardust uh, can almost, you can almost hear the strings of an outlaw uprising between the grooves. Ugh. <laughs> just, I just love it, man. Uh, Zagat survey rated Stardust five out of five stars. Uh, and they said that on this legendary departure from Will, from the traditional Willie, America's pop troubadour puts his one-of-a-kind touch on old pop standards, finding common ground between outlaw country and mellow, sweet and simple, more uh, bow tie than bandana, 
Each song is turned and twisted until it's his own and paired with the production of talents of Booker T. Jones sets a romantic mood that, that appeals to a whole new audience. But, I mean, talk to me. What, what, why this album for you? I mean, I, I get it. I, I love it too. Um, the easiest thing to say is it's an absolutely perfect album, and there just aren't many of those. There is not one thing wrong with it. I mean, to be truthful, it's technically easy listening. Yeah. In that it is really easy to listen to. That's how that category so was created, easy. you know? So easy. But, but if you think about it, when you, when you look at it in the, in the context of Willie's career, what was happening in his life and stuff of all the weird things that he's done of all the nerve it took to do yesterday's wine, you know, in the mm -hmm. middle of the country politan movement to do some kind of weird, you know, quasi religious song cycle like that about some kind of not Jesus guy. Um, Stardust is the weirdest thing he ever did. He had just hit with all this outlaw stuff. Yeah. Willie and Waylon is at the top of the charts. Wanted the Outlaws is at the top of the charts. Redhead Strangers at mm -hmm. the top of the charts. There's this new thing. And so he meets with Rick Blackburn of at Columbia. He's at Columbia Records now, not Atlantic. And um and Rick Blackburn's like, who, I forget what he's in charge of marketing or whatever the hell he's in charge of. He's a VP of something. And he's like, what do you want to do next, Willie? Well, he said, I really want to do, I've been hanging with Booker T and I really want to do an album of old standards like Cole Porter and yeah. Irving Berlin <laughs> and Gershwin. And he's like, no, man, no, what we need is outlaw stuff. That's next. You got to do that. Keep doing what you're doing. And, and nobody knows these songs. And he said, that's the point. Nobody knows these songs. They're just great songs. And so people are going to dig them. They're, they're going to think they're new. They're going to think they're Willie songs. Yeah. Trust me. Well, they do. They do sound like Willie songs. Yeah. He makes them completely. His. That's and what then, he does. Yeah. He takes, it smears Willie Nelson on any song. And you're like, <laughs> you know, he just like rubs it all in. And right. it, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, I heard on your podcast, I think it was Don was was saying that, you know, no, 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 you need to hear my breath. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. you, you, you need to, you need to hear exactly. Cause he's so, he's like, just like behind or in front of, of, of everything. Yeah. Well, so do you know how they recorded it? Stardust? Let's hear it. He, he, so all that in, in, in Columbia records is like, oh my God, what's he doing this time? <laughs> and and it's like it's not even like trust him. They it worked last time. It'll work this time. It's not even that. It's like he's got creative creative control. There's actually no debate to be had. Well, shit. And so he recorded it in Emmy Lou Harris's living room in L.A. I forget the name I of her husband that. at the time, um, but he was an engineer, I guess. Yeah, I should know that better. But so they had a sound truck outside. Damn you for not knowing that, Spawn. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but so they run the cables into the house and they set up in the living room. And this is, this is the band, man. That's Paul English on those brushes, you know, and it's Sister Bobby and it's B and it's Jody and it's Willie. And the Mickey Raphael's the only one that's not in the living room because they got great reverb in the bathroom. Yeah, I did. I did read that. I so they mic him in the shower or whatever the hell it is, and 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 man, it is the quiet. That's the other thing. It, it's a perfect record. It may be the quietest record I've ever heard. It's just so wonderfully. Redheaded stranger will go up against that. Yeah, but there's there's some places in the song where it where it bounces more, and mm -hmm. it, it, there's 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 a harder edge to Fair some enough. of those songs. Okay. Maybe because they're about killing people. I don't know. <laughs> but but with this one, it's so you know all of me doesn't bounce. There's nothing hard in it, but it swings. You know, 
Yeah. You know, uh, other songs on there. All of me. Uh, Moonlight in Vermont. Mm-hmm. The couple times I've ever like actually been around Willie, that song always comes up and he says, man, I love that song. And you know why? And I'm like, why? And he said, because there's no rhymes in it. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, right. There's not. He's like, yeah, there are no rhymes in Moonlight in Vermont. And that is a real achievement. And I love singing that song. So good. So good. Yeah. I mean, Willie, he's I mean, it, if you don't know who Willie Nelson is, there's a problem. He yeah. is. Uh, he, uh, He's a legend in my mind. He's one of my heroes. Um, but so, yeah. Well, listen, w- let's talk about where people can find you online. And I, oh, sure. Th- so Facebook. Mm-hmm. What's your handle? Uh, John Spong. John Spong. Am I to have a handle? It's, it's going to be like <laughs> Facebook. and then uh, Just go search. Are you uh, on Instagram? No, I'm, I'm actually never Instagram. Okay, cool. And what about uh, Texas Monthly? Do you want me to? Do you want to say anything about that? What you do there? Sure. Well, um, it'll probably change before too long. But f- you know, we've for the past two years, I've done nothing but Willie Nelson stuff. Cool. Um, That's and, awesome, dude. Oh man, to have the pandemic happen and to have life be so hard for the past year or so, to have my job be to listen to Willie records. <laughs> And think and, and overthink Willie Nelson. That has been a really nice place to park my head uh, for the past year or so. But really, we've got a taco editor, we've got a barbecue editor, and I'm kind of the Willie editor, which to my mind makes a whole lot more sense, or um, just as much. I, I think that's a way cool. I mean, oh, way yeah. cooler than a barbecue editor. <laughs> I, I love barbecue. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. But. Uh, so I've been doing Barbecue's that. Barbecue's not going to die. Yeah, yeah. No, barbecue is going to be around. But so yeah, I do that, and uh, I've got this Willie podcast that you mentioned a second ago. Talk Thank about you. it, please. I mean, you, you talk about it again. We, uh, Lyle Lovett came on and talked about uh, "Hello Walls" and how much that song means to him. And one of the reasons he talked about it was he loves the song because of. Uh, how well it's written, how weird it was actually, you know, uh, the narrator of the song is talking to stuff in his room. That Mm -hmm. was somewhat revolutionary. And actually they didn't even know it was revolutionary. They made fun of it in Nashville when that song first showed up in the studio. They didn't get it. Who's this Um, freak? But that's not why Lyle wanted to talk about Lyle wanted to talk about it because Willie tried to sell the song to Farron Young. Farron Young (sighs) had a monster hit with it. Farron Young knew he was going to have a monster hit with it when he recorded it. So rather than buying you. it, he loaned it <laughs> the money to Willie. Willie was going to sell it for five hundred bucks, and Farron said, "Let me loan you the five hundred dollars." And and then famously, Willie, after he got like three weeks later, got a check for like fifteen thousand bucks right. or something in the mail, um, which he had never seen that kind of money before. Showed up at Tootsie's, the famous bar in Nashville, where the songwriters hung out, and gave Farron Young the biggest, Huge. wettest French kiss of his life, <laughs> you know, tongue down his throat. Um, but but Lyle said that is a story about music artists looking out for one another yeah. and doing each other a good turn. And it's a story about Willie. And the thing is, Willie was insistent on paying him back more than the $500. And so, and Farron wouldn't even take the $500, as I recall. And I think like years later, Willie bought him like a $10,000 Longhorn or something like that and gave him that, you know? And and so, and Lyle's such a generous person, um, sweet person. That's the reason he told it. And that was kind of cool. And then maybe even cooler, why Nona Judd talked about Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, mm-hmm. 
But we talked about that for two minutes. And then she just wanted to talk about how when she was an 18 year old girl and the Judds had just hit and she's backstage yeah. at the CMA Awards for the first time and looking around the room and there's Merle Haggard and there's George Jones and there's Loretta Lynn and there's Ricky Skaggs and here's all these legends. Willie walks in and everybody's like, oh, there's Willie. Yeah, and then when he gets there, rather than playing the big star thing, he just sat and talked to Winona Judd's grandmother <laughs> the whole time. That was a great episode, too. And and she started crying when she told the story, and so did I. All right, well, hey, man, you guys definitely, I mean, if, if you want to know more about Willie Nelson, go to Texas Monthly. Figure out, there's like a list of, uh, just search on Google, uh, Top Willie Albums, Texas Monthly, and it gives you like all 143 of them, right? Yeah, we did that. We rate ranked and reviewed all at this point there's actually been another album released since he oh, did that. True that he has a new sinatra covers album that came out my way. two months ago is it my way or is the first one was my way and this one is all of me or i don't know yeah whatever it is but if you want to know more about willie nelson yeah. follow john spong uh go to texasmonthly.com uh, try to get your hands on the willie episode of the uh, texas monthly because it, it is freaking awesome thanks man thank you for coming and talking to me today this was a blast um you are my willie nelson encyclopedia now so i'm just <laughs> gonna start calling you up hey listen what happened here but uh anyway um and tell me this so those are my books right i read the joe nick potoski which i thought was awesome yeah i it, it made me in turn go read his book on on uh stevie ray vaughn and, and, i also and, read his tale of luck which was an interesting story I thought it was a little bit predictable. I don't know that one. And for because nobody knows what we're pointing at, there is a stack of eight books, seven books, all about Willie Nelson. I tried to Willie Nelson out the whole the whole yeah. studio here so so we could we could get, you know, Willie and engulfed by Willie. Uh yeah, but I haven't read the uh the other one, the one on the bottom. But anyway, uh follow Spong. Learn about Willie. Stick with me. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> I'm using this tagline from the from his podcast. Later, guys. Dude, clearly John Spong knows his Willie. You can find him on the good old web on uh, Facebook. You can also catch him on at Texas Monthly. And if you've got the gumption, head on over to thebiggunshow.com and check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all with the same handle of The Big Gun Show Band. That's the only beginning band on the end. And when COVID gets the hell out of here and leaves us alone, our most consistent gig is our monthly residency at the Little Longhorn Saloon, a.k.a. Jenny's here in Austin, home of Chicken Shit Bingo. And we play the happy hour on the first Friday of every month. Bring Grandma. She'll have a blast. Close your eyes. You're on the desert out again. What five records do you have? Until next time. Well, it's been pickled in your savage sin.